You're listening to another New Hope Chapel, New Hope Chapel podcast. podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from Scott Schuler, a member of our teaching team, as he continues our series called The Master. When I was in elementary school, uh, things were different back in those days, in the 50s and 60s. We would uh, stand up at the beginning of the classroom and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And then what else would we do, Carrie? We say the Lord's Prayer. Did that for six years. We said the Lord's Prayer. When I was in third grade, we all learned who Madeline Murray was. And Miss um, Hutchins, our principal, said there will be prayer in this school as long as I am here. So that lasted at least until sixth grade. When I got to high school, obviously that stopped. We didn't pray in high school out loud. But um, we all knew we all knew where everybody else went to church. We knew what church they went to. We knew what Boy Scout troop they went to. Everybody went to church. We knew it. We didn't pray, but we knew it. When I got to college, I couldn't find a Christian if I had put Sherlock Holmes onto the case. They, I, they, they either disappeared, they hid their faith, they, they denied them, whatever they did. And I would sit in the student union and listen to people uh, just rail against Christians, against the church, about the Catholic school they went to. It, it, I didn't know from Catholic or anything back then. But it seemed like they all went to um, either Keogh or um, Cardinal Gibbons or one of those schools. And they were literally rabid in their attacking on the church. And one of the things that they would say about the Christian church and about, the, about our faith was they would say, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, Jesus never says anywhere in the Bible, it doesn't say anywhere that Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And um, have you heard that? That's, that that's, is still out there, um, that there, the, uh, people had say this. And by the time I got to be about 21, 22, and I was in college and really started to grapple with all of these things, I knew probably four Bible verses. All that, all that Sunday school, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just knew that I didn't read it. I didn't get anything out of it. I thought that it was boring. Uh, I had a number of teachers, including, bless her heart, Miss Peggy, who was always trying to make the Bible sound more exciting, and I didn't have any way at all of defending these attacks. I didn't have anything um, to argue with, and I started thinking to myself, well, it sounds like they've actually read the Bible more than I have if they know that this is missing. And it was about that time that my faith started to erode, or corrode, or evaporate, Uh, and that lasted actually for a pretty good while. But a lot of what goes on oftentimes, and um, uh, we'll see this some in the, uh, the scripture here today, and in, in our dealing with it, is we hear a lot of people, a lot of talk, a lot of argument about the Bible, a lot of argument about the faith and about the church that is founded on nothing. It doesn't come from the Bible, it doesn't come from scripture, it's made up, and it sounds very plausible to a group of people, an entire culture, who simply does not have the grounding to confront this stuff and to turn it over and to say that this is, this is just a lot of malarkey. Uh, nothing else, frankly, and this is, I, could, I believe this in my heart, nothing else could explain the Da Vinci Code selling a, a million billion copies. That a bunch of people who just simply do not know the history, do not know the, uh, the, uh, where this comes from, do not know the origins of the Bible, and they just simply say, this sounds reasonable to me. And in an age of conspiracy theorists, uh, this stuff took root and grow, and it just grows like wildfire. Um, my own mother-in-law actually lent us a copy of it. It's, in the, it's somewhere. So we, I guess sooner or later we'll have to give it back. In the hall closet? In the dark, where it belongs. 
Um, here we're going to find this is a place where anybody who says uh, that this, this is not found in the Bible, this is where we can send them. There are other places, but we can send them here. Whoops. I got ahead of myself. That, like that never happens. Um, I had the opportunity. This introduces uh, actually what I meant to point I meant to make here. I had the opportunity to prove them wrong if I had wanted to. If I had wanted to pull out a Bible, which was, you know, well, you know how thick the Bible is. Where, where in here, am, am I going to read this and find where Jesus says that he's the son of God? No. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go through that much trouble. And I'll tell you something else. Suppose I didn't find it, and they were right. And what would that, be, what would that do to a faith as weak as mine? That if I found it in the Bible, there was no, that I was worshiping somebody and following somebody, and I couldn't find any evidence in his own book that said that he was actually the Son of God. So there were some that will not see, and then some that will not, will not look. You know, um, there's a lively conversation abroad today. Uh, there's something called the New Atheism. Are you familiar with it? Hitchens and all those guys, the things they've written, God is not great, the God delusion, these other books that are coming out. And there's a lot of people who are, uh, whose faith and whose understanding of the Bible was every bit as weak as mine was at that time. And these guys sound very, very plausible when they begin to speak. What they are, are lacking, of course, is the understanding of what actually the Bible says. And my, I've heard this, I don't know how true this is. But a, a, some studies have been just done that some, some very large percentage of people who claim to be atheists actually believe in God somewhere. Maybe they're hoping, maybe, you know, the, the idea of, of a meaningless existence, even for a hardcore atheist, it's hard to take. And it's hard to know that you are facing, at some point, oblivion. Um, they are open, in some measure, to some convincing argument, some convincing case and from where I stand, um, one of the most convincing cases are people who follow Jesus closely, who love him, and who are not shrill, and who are you know, not attacking. I, I was thinking that this, this morning, actually, about this sermon, and I, I love the show uh, Law and Order. Anybody else like that? I really like that show. I, like, I love Law and Order. I love, you know. And what I have learned is that if one of the crimes is committed by a person who is attached to a church to turn the show off, have you ever noticed the way Christians are portrayed in that show in a number of other places? Um, there was actually a, an episode the other day. There was a, an actor. I actually happened to like this actor. He, he was in another one of my favorite Christian movies, um, Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of Christian. I'm just kidding. Not a lot of Christian message in there. But he was in here, and he and he was on the screen for three minutes, and I knew they were going to uh, label this guy as a Christian, and it was his faith that was going to cause him to do all of the terrible things that he had done, because you could see the look on their face. Do you know that look that the, they have on TV when a person is a Christian? They look they look like they're they've just uh, spoke an ounce of hash. And they're, they're, they have this smile on their face, and they're staring. They're, their eyes are glazed over. They have no. They just, they're just gone. They're just. They're stoned out of their minds. 
The, um, a lady in, the, in this episode found another one, came, went to a prison for a terrible crime, and she found Jesus, so when they brought her into the room, it was the same thing. You practically had to walk her in because she was, she was obviously so lost and so gone. This is how the world sees Christians. This is how the world, the worldly people, see Christians as a bunch of people who are deluded or literally just nuts, unreachable. Jesus, speaking of himself, I find this all the time about Jesus. You know one of the arguments that people who do not believe in the Bible will say, and that, of course, that the Bible is a book that was written by man. It is written by a bunch of people sitting under a tree uh, 3,000 years ago, uneducated, simple-minded, didn't know anything about science, didn't know anything about philosophy, didn't know anything about anything. And they wrote all this stuff down, and we're supposed to follow it. We're supposed to get behind all of this and make it a part of our lives. There's a lot of that kind of conversation going on. And I said, the book of John in particular, um, I actually preach this at funerals, because, you know, at funerals you get a lot of people who at, uh, either don't believe or who are really in need of some kind of comfort that everything is going to be okay and that there's a meaning for what they're, what they're confronting. And I tell them, I just do not see how a human being could have written the book of John, in particular. And there are others. But the book of John has the stamp of the divine all over it, of the holy, of the, of the simply unfathomable. And this is what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking to the people who are supposed to be most open to his arrival because they, of course, are the leaders of the the group out of which the Messiah came, and they didn't recognize him. Now, this passage here, I love to read the, you know I like to read the passages. I like to read them out loud. This one has like 50 verses, so it just didn't work out that way. But I know that all of you read chapter 8 last week, right? So you know that John chapter 8 is filled with questions. I, I don't mean to be glib, but I know that you've all read chapter 8 at one time or another. And this is the one where Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees who are like, well, what about this? What about this? Who are you? This can't be true. This can't be true either. How does, how does this fit with this? But of all the questions that they asked, this is the one that stuck out to me. And finally, at one point, some frustrated overwhelmed Pharisee could just, with all of the questions, with all of the thought they're putting, it finally just blurted out, who are you? Remember that even when the palace guards were sent out to arrest Jesus and bring him back, they came back empty-handed. You remember what they said? We've never heard anybody talk like this before. They couldn't even bring themselves to, to obey. You know, I assume the consequences of disobeying an order, especially when you had the prisoner in your hands, and you came back without them, I assume that the, uh, the uh, consequences were pretty severe. They did it anyway. They couldn't bring themselves to arrest this man. The Pharisees were grilling Jesus. It's, this is an interesting scene. Do you remember this as you've read this scripture, what, this, what this, the mood of this conversation is like? They are hostile. But they stick at it. They don't go away. They don't give up. They don't, this is one where they just stay at time after time. The, the Jesus will give them answer. They need these questions answered. 
they understand, one of the reasons they give this much attention to Jesus is they know also they're dealing with somebody they've never heard anyone talk like this. Imagine somebody in our culture popping up who talked unlike any other human being in human history, what that would be like. And you would want to go to see them. I would want to hear what they have to say. This person must know something I don't know. They must give some advice or they must have some understanding that I don't know. And in particular, we're dealing with somebody who claims to be somebody and to have been somewhere that none of us have ever been and that we're promised we'll be going. These questions are important to them, but they did come at it from the, uh, the point of view of being skeptical and angry and biased. One of the things that happens a lot of times with atheists, I've heard them say, actually, is they said, is there anything, is there any proof, is there any evidence, is there any surefire statement that I could say that it is so convincing and so perfect would you believe in God anyway? And a whole lot of them say no. It's not so much that the evidence isn't there. It's not so much that they don't have the things in front of them. They actually don't want to believe. What they believe the Christian life consists of is more than they're willing to endure in order to have it. For all of the promises, and then most of them will convince themselves, because they'll say, you know, they believe they're going to heaven anyway. They do. You know that, right? The number of folks, I'll, I'll, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. And listening to this, many did believe. Not all of them, but a lot of them did believe. One of the things that's interesting is after this part about coming to belief, listen to how Jesus spoke to them. These are the ones who said, I hear you. I believe I'm going to follow you. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Now, these are the, you're ready to, these are the people who said they, they believed. These are the Jews who had believed in him. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Well, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you wouldn't do the things that Abraham did, or then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong, to, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. 
The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. These are the people who believed in him. And it speaks to... My, these, the slides are going to be all messed up now. It's okay. It's okay. We'll, we, can, we, can, we can deal with it. Um, Jesus is saying something very important here besides, I think, the obvious. And we know this ourselves. Once you come to the Lord, the real work starts. It's put to way too many people that coming to the Lord and your troubles are all behind you. The hardest thing to do is accept God, accept Jesus. That's, that's true. It is if you're a skeptic. It is if you're a rationalist. It is if you're a humanist and putting your faith in Jesus is too much. But we don't just coast the rest of the way. And here, here they've come to him. They're, they've been talking with him for five minutes. And Jesus is already giving them an idea of how much work they have to do and who they are, which means what they have to leave behind. What are you repenting of? Your father, Satan, has been telling you all of these things and is blinding you and is keeping you from seeing these things. Satan, the prowling lion, the roaring lion, looking for whom he may, he may devour. This is something that speaks to us as we present the gospel to people. Tell them what Jesus has said. Tell them who Jesus is. But we want to be honest with them about what they're letting themselves in for. But it's good. Not having Satan for a father anymore is good. Having Jesus for a father is good. Being saved is good. Being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is good. Being empowered to do all of the things that you've been struggling to do yourself through various self-help programs and just sheer determination from your own desire to be a good person, now you have the help that will see to it that those things are accomplished. You can see the things that you hate about yourself begin to be addressed and healed and removed and excised. It is work, but it's exciting work. You know, most of us who have hobbies, um, well, I used to have hobbies, but those who have hobbies, don't we work at those? If you didn't like it, if, if you didn't like woodworking, and like me, or, or metalworking or any other kind of working, frankly, um, <laughs> So if it's work, it begins, I begin to get suspicious of it immediately. But the people who work at, I mean, if, if you didn't like woodworking and they said, this is what it takes to get good at woodworking, it would be awful, wouldn't it? If you didn't like woodworking and you had to learn all of these things, I, I can't even watch the guy, who's the, the, this old house? Who's the guy who says, now we'll mortise the, what? <laughs> I don't want to mortise anything. I'm a nice guy. That sounds, that sounds mean to me. Um, but if you love woodworking, and if you have a facility for it, a talent for it, if God has put in you the desire to work with one of his creations, which is wood, you look up at the clock and notice that 19 hours have gone by, right? Every hobby we have that you work at, you give yourself to it and you love it. That's part of the gifting. All of us in the church have something about Jesus that is basically our woodworking if you're a woodworker, not for me. What is my gift? How do I contribute? How, as a member of the body of Christ, can I love someone and speak to someone and help someone and coach someone, um, exhort someone, 
into loving Jesus more than they did before the conversation started. And what can't I do? What am I just no good at? Now, I've learned and I understand about myself, I cannot, I can't. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say this. I am terrible with a person who doesn't believe at all. I am terrible with a person who is skeptical and, and comes at you the way the Pharisees did, mean-spirited and challenging, and what about this, and smug and smarmy and all. I, I, it's not my gift. Maybe I shouldn't say, maybe I'm not trying hard. No, that's, that's human effort again, see? I believe I'm best with people who already want to believe and want to go another step. I think that's where my gift is. There are other people, I, I learned this, I learned... Um, about a year ago, I was asked if I would um, teach Sunday school. <laughs> Did I not, was I not? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you are so kind. <laughs> um, I can't tell you how I fretted and fumed over what I was going to do for Sunday school. I just, it, it was so stressful. It was so difficult. And I, I, finally, I finally said, I have to confess, I only have one thing that I can offer them, and that is talk. And you, there were some good listeners in the class, but talk is not the way. You were talk, you know, I don't even know that it works especially well with, with adults, but it's certainly with uh, per- people of, uh, of that age. What about activities? What about some kind of, what can we do? What can get us engaged? What can we, what can we do and learn and all, and they always, what is it they say? They, they learn 10% of what they read and, or hear and what are, some percent of what they do and, and all like, you know, until it gets to, you have to do something. And I would read the, I would read the um, activities and I'd say, I, I can't do them. I can't, I can't even bring myself to do them. But I would see somebody else do them and see they really work. I, that's not my gift. So we see that again that John, uh, in John, we see Jesus's response. He, he never gave up on them. He was logical, he was uncompromising, he was even accusatory, confronting disbelief, confronting a rebellious spirit. If you're in the faith, you've got to stand strong. You can't cave in, you can't accommodate, you can't just find some way to blend something. No, you've stepped, you're a new creature, you've stepped into a new world. Jesus does this, he stands there and he just addresses them, he never gives up on them. He is asking them and and commanding them to believe, love, worship, and follow. It's it's work. He has no no delay in confronting the false belief. The minute they came to him, he gave them an idea. This is where you're going. You have help, but this is where we're going. There wasn't even like, what is it, an orientation class. Where just for, for a day, you know, just it's all sort of peaches and cream before the work really starts. You know, we grilled Jesus too. Have we not done this? Have there been episodes in our lives, have we not dealt with some things where at one time, finally, we, we were just boiled over and we just said, Jesus, this is not 
who I believe you to be. If I'm the only person in the room that's done this, um, and I've given sermons like that before, <laughs> and it's a terrible feeling when you say, you know, do you know how when this happens and this happens? No. Um, oh, well, <laughs> amen. Um, but I've had episodes in my life, things in my life, where I just said, I, I expected things to work differently as a man who loves God. I thought it would be smoother. I thought I'd have more wisdom than this. I thought I would be able to sort things out. I thought I would be more at peace with the decisions I make. Um, when I was out of work for a year, every month that went, every, every month that went by, I thought, I believe God would say four months is enough. And I would convince myself. And I knew what day four months was. And then, that would come. And then well, I remember my birthday. Ah, this is, this is how stupid you can... <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice Christmas, a nice birthday present, Jesus? I could get a job on March 17th and get... That would be great. March 17th came and went, nothing. Fourth of July came and went. Memorial Day came and went. Seder came and went. A whole, what does a Purim came and went? Oh, just about you know, uh, Easter. That, Easter. The resurrection. You could, you, know, you could resurrect my career. You could resurrect... You know, nothing. Um... It came when I finally said, and this is no kidding, when I finally said, Jesus, you do what you want. If you want me staying here, if you want me unemployed for a little while longer, if you're going to, you, you just do what you want. It took me that long, but the, but the conversations that Jesus and I had up to that point, I don't want them published. I don't want them on my Facebook page. I don't want them going out. I don't want, I don't want anybody hearing these um, it's a good thing we're dealing with a God who is just and righteous and forgiving and gracious and who understands and knows who we are. But you know something? He kept calling me back to prayer. Don't give up. I had not an inkling of where he was headed, but I knew not to give up. So we would ask questions that are important to us. Sometimes I think about with these Pharisees, they're asking questions about Abraham and all. if you asked a bunch of Americans, if, if, said, if, if you had the opportunity to ask Jesus anything, can you think of what your first two or three questions might be, the things that you would want to grill Jesus on? The first question that popped into my head, first question, is I want to know what heaven looks like. Of all the things I could ask, I just want to know what heaven looks like. And then I say, is, is my mom there? Do they know what we're doing down here? Can they see us? Questions like that. Do you see how self-focused they are? The questions, we just sort of naturally, um, what does God look like? Um, what does God say about me? And then maybe an hour later I'd say, what does God say about Denise? <laughs> and maybe six hours later, what does God say about my children? But let's get the me in there first as soon as we possibly can and find out, you know, am, am I in good standing? These would be, these would be the kind of questions. In the presence of Jesus, though, in the presence of holiness, we find that when people are in the presence of Jesus, and there were times when I just knew Jesus was very close, and I knew he woke me up in the middle of the night to pray in various times like this, I knew that the right response is one of awe and surrender and gratitude, love, openness, 
You just know there's no sense holding anything back. And one of, well, I always get one of, one of capability, the great feeling that I get that God knows what he's doing. I'm in the, no matter how weird things look to me, I know I'm in the presence of somebody who's not only is in control, but really knows what he's doing and all of his decisions are right. And that's when our conditions of our heart differ from those of the Pharisees. Contrite and sincere and loving and humble, as opposed to what I was doing last year, which was flippant and boastful, defiant, uh, and frankly, a little bossy. Um, this is what I want you to do. You know, there's a lot of advice about prayer. Some, some say you, you just leave it up to God, and others say give God a very con- a concise list of what it is you want. If you, you've heard this advice. There's advice no, matter what, there's, no matter how far you go afield in any direction, somebody is convinced theirs is the right way and all the other ways are wrong. Put all that aside and just go to the Lord and find out what he wants. He does look upon the heart, looking more for honest questions, honest inquiry, honest seeking versus cynical entrapment. And what he told them, and what he tells us, I, I think, what I hear him telling me is, go and look at what I've already said about myself. You've got the book, we've got the Bible, you've got the church, you've got all these people. When I first came to the Lord, I called a friend who I knew went to church. I don't, I don't know any. I'd love to hear all of your individual stories sometime. Why don't we do that? Because we don't ask, right? We have not because we ask not. How many people have I asked and hear what their story was? Practically nobody. Shame on me. But the, um, did it involve a time when finally you just said, I'm going, I'm going to go to somebody that I know goes to church or that I know is, I I use the word religious. Sandy's religious, I'll call her. And she witnessed to me, and and later on she would say, I couldn't tell you a word I said to you. It all came from the Holy Spirit. Um, He arranged the whole thing. Believe, love, worship, and follow. Jesus is telling us who he is. And again, whoops. This is something that, C.S. Lewis used to like to say. Who is Jesus? He can, you've got four options, only four. He's either a legend, which we know is, we don't even hear that one very much anymore. The historicity of Jesus has been established pretty well. So you don't have a whole lot of people who are saying he didn't exist. But since he did, so what is he? He's either a, a liar, in which case he's not a good moral teacher. A lot of people who say he's a good moral teacher, but he's not God. You see how inconsistent that is? I'm following somebody who was a liar and telling you that he is a good moral teacher. Doesn't make any sense. Or he is a a lunatic who is just making all of this stuff up when we always see the signs and wonders attested to by lots of people that that actually happened. Or he's actually the Lord. He tells us here, to people who needed to hear this, they didn't need to hear that the streets of heaven were paved with gold, and they didn't need to hear that their Aunt Sarah was there. They needed to know, where did you come from, and what evidence do you have of your bona fides that indeed you did come from God? Speaking the things of God, speaking the words of God, words that nobody else heard, signs and wonders that he worked for their, for their benefit. 
And the fact that the father, this drove the Pharisees nuts, that the father glorified him. We're supposed to be glorifying God, right? And then before Abraham was, I am. This is when they, this is when they flipped out. Um, when, they, when Jesus referred to I am, made that I am reference, it was more than they could take. But for us, it's, it's the good news. We're putting our faith in the right guy. This is the one. He didn't even say we are. I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All those things that we've been talking about for the previous weeks, all those I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. So the question then becomes one for us as we close. Who do we say that he is? And Jesus asked, that's a, that's a great thing that he asked Peter, remember? Who do you say that I am? We know what a whole lot of other people say. You've been around me for all this time. You've been close. Who do you say that I am? We don't want Jesus saying to us, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our actions speak louder than our words. We can speak, we can talk, we can recite. But do his words live in us as the Holy Spirit? Loving and serving, humble servants. When we go to work, do we consider ourselves to be servants? Are we servants at home? Are we servants anywhere? Um, anyway, this is, this is what, of course, what people see. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So we can either honor him or we honor ourselves, which includes our vision of God if we put that ahead of his own, what he says about himself. We can rely upon him or we can rely upon ourselves. We can seek God's will or we can seek our own. But our prayer is, Lord, conform my will to yours. Um, I can't come up with your will. I can't invent one. I can't come up with anything that is as good as yours. Only you know what your will is. Make my will your will. Teach me to pray for the right things. Teach me what it is I haven't repented of. What is it I should be praying for? Who should I be praying for? What, should, what am I leaving undone? Conform our will to his. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we do love you, and we do worship you, and we do want to understand you, and we do want to know you, and we feel so sure that the more we know you, the more we will love you, because that's your nature. We can't help but love you the more we know you. That's just your, the nature of who you are. So bring us close to you. Allow us close to you. Respond to our thirst to you and just let us, let us near you. Strengthen us to do your work. Fill us with joy to do all it is that you call us to do. And let us truly be a beacon on a hill so that when people see us, they say, I need to understand what that person has, what the source of it is. I need to know Jesus. I, know, I recognize and discern what I understand of God in him or her. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.